is a Bulldog Radio podcast. The Ferris State Bulldogs have upset the nation's number two ranked team. Wide open, Taylor is going to take this one to the house. Touchdown, Bulldogs! It's the MVSP Season 4, Episode 37. What an episode we have on deck for you guys today. A lot of stuff went down in Ferris Athletics, but before we get into it, happy birthday, Brandon. Aw, thanks, Joe. February 6th, man. You're 22 years old. Wild. Yeah, I'm getting old. It How does feels, it feel? It feels like I'm one year closer to paying insurance. That's yeah, really that's how tough, it feels. Yeah, so. that's tough. But also, happy birthday, Quentin Zinger as well. Yeah, another Ferris guy. Q's My roommate today. Yeah, so a Ferris Athletic guy. Yeah, we should have him in the studio also one of these times. Q, if you're listening. We got a seat for you. I ain't gonna lie. Q does not listen to this show. Oh, that's unfortunate. Maybe I'll have to have him start. I'll say, hey, listen to this episode. Yeah. That would be cool if you did, but Mm. that's the way to start it up. You shout him out on the show. Absolutely. There you go. Absolutely. Great interview in store with you. We brought Noah Giesbrecht, one of the nation's best goaltenders, stopped by the show to talk about their epic weekend at Bowling Green, which ended in style. We'll get through all that as well as Ferris basketball's trip across the pond. Tennis started off the season at home. We'll break that down as well as controversial trades going down in the NBA. We'll break that all down, but first, without further ado, let's swing it to the interview. Joining us now in studio, Fair State Hockey goaltender Noah Giesbrecht stopped by. Noah, welcome to the show, man. Yeah, thank you for having me. Noah, thanks so much for coming on. Huge five points last weekend for you coming against Bowling Green. You know, home ice is in the is in the hunt for the playoffs. Can you guys just talk about what was going on through practice last week to prepare for such a big weekend? Yeah, I think uh, after we had Minnesota State, we kind of we definitely spent a little bit of time battling this week. Um, led into a, a well-fitted series for Bowling Green and um, ended up getting the job done. So it was, uh, it was good. For sure. Yeah, and we saw obviously the highlights from especially the Saturday game, the nightcap, the shootout. You left with a very beautiful celebration at the end, given a bow to the student section. I mean, how big of that game was it for you guys emotionally to come out in a huge, really gritty last game and especially to get the sweep overall on the weekend? Yeah, that, that, it was huge at the end of the day. I mean, it was, um, it was, a, it was a battle of a, a series um, right, to the, right to the end and the final buzzer. And, and the shootout kind of topped it off. And I think all the guys felt that it was a, it was a big weekend for us. And just confidence boost going into this next one with uh, Bemidji coming up here. Yeah, and that clip of you at the shootout at the end, giving the bow, it's gone pretty viral across a few accounts on Instagram, TikTok and stuff. You know, was that celebration pre-planned or was that more of a spur of the moment, like made the save, got to turn around and give them the business? Yeah, that's a good question. I, it was kind of a spur of the moment. Um, they were just so loud all weekend. They were giving it to us. We were giving it back. Um, and then, yeah, it was just spur of the moment. I didn't really know I even really did it at the end until I saw a video. And <laughs> I was watching. I'm like, oh, I guess it worked out. But, yeah. When it comes to, like, just overall, I mean, you're down there. Obviously, the student section behind you. The glass is in the way. But how much of that stuff do you actually hear? Because I know, like, especially at Ferris's rink, it's very, very close as opposed to some other venues. It's far away. How much of that stuff do you hear? And like, do you block it out as much or does the, the really the paint of glass really take care of that? Um, no, you you definitely hear it. Um, they're they're one of the loudest. Apparently, they're always loud. They have a they have a great student section. Um, I don't hear it too much while I'm playing, but sometimes I choose to kind of t- tune in and see what they're saying. It's kind of funny sometimes what they come up with, but yeah, get the uh, juices flowing a little bit. Yeah, yeah, get yeah. The juices flowing, kind of just be in the present and uh, enjoy it. Yeah, for sure. And especially last year, you came in halfway through this season. You transferred from the University of Windsor. You know what was that process like of transferring, coming to this team, and then also what's kind of what's the biggest difference that you found between Canadian and American universities? Yeah, it was definitely, it was a big tr- transition. Um, just getting to know a whole new uh, group of guys um, definitely was tough, but um, they, they welcomed me with open arms here and very thankful for the opportunity. And so it's, uh, it's been a change, but it's uh, been nice to be here for a while and get a fresh season under the belt. Yeah. And obviously um, being with Logan and a lot of the other goaltenders, especially from last year with Roni and some of those guys, I mean, what's been the interaction with you guys uh, being in that goalie group and going through drills and just having those guys really come in and welcome you as a freshman last year? Yeah, it was, it was great. I mean, me and Steiny are are pretty tight. Um, We're good friends off the ice and on the ice and he's a great goalie too. He, we, I can take something out of his game. He takes something out of mine. It's, it's, it's a friendly competition and it makes both of us better at the end of the day. So um, can't say enough good things and 
Yeah, and there's been some pretty great games that you've been able to play so far this season, especially like GLI and stuff like that. Uh, what have been some of those ones that have been stuck out to you so far with some of those performance on the personal level and just being able to be a part of some of those uh, atmospheres and some of those games? Yeah, I mean, the GLI against Michigan State was crazy. That was a, that was a cool opportunity that we got. And, and then Bowling Green, again, that was one of the top ones too, um, just being able to sweep them in their own barn. And, and uh, the emotions were flying on both sides of the ring. So it was, it was pretty cool GLI too. So. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, wh who wouldn't want to play in the big barn? I mean, that's such no. a dream come true, yeah. man. But yeah. um, when it comes to your skill set, no, obviously I'm sure there's a lot of people that could try to analyze and see, yeah, this strength is this, or we can, this is this. What do you think is their, your strongest, real strong suit that has made you such a really good goaltender this year? Um, I think my size, just being able to play with my size and kind of know in the boundaries, play in between the posts kind of thing. Um, just try to emphasize on and just being calm, just nothing really bothers me and just, just play the game of hockey and have fun with it. So. Yeah. And being like so tall, like have you, did you kind of have a problem with that kind of growing up with a growth spray or anything like that, trying to just get in control of your body and stuff like that when it was changing or no? Yeah, I kind of, I, I was a late bloomer, so I didn't grow until maybe grade 11, grade 12. I was always kind of short. Um, and then, yeah, it kind of hit me after, after high school. So I was a late bloomer definitely. And, and, uh, still adjusting to it now. And I, I know I can work on it more and, and perfect it a little bit better. So when you started playing hockey, uh, first of all, when did you start? And then did you start as necessarily as a skater or have you always been in between the posts? Yeah. In Canada, we start early. So we're, uh, we're on the ice, we're on the ponds at like four years old. So I've always been, a, a, like, I've always wanted to play player and all that, but my dad didn't want me to be a goalie, but ended up getting in there and, and never looked back. So my brother got the, was wanting to be a goalie too, but he, uh, my dad didn't let him, so he's a player now. Was that kind of like the goalie was injured one of those days and you had to step in, or was that? No, I don't. I, I think I just want to be on the ice longer. That's what uh, I always ask my dad why why he let me go goalie. But yeah, apparently I just want to be on the ice a little bit longer than everyone else. So oh, interesting. <laughs> yeah. is, is there an NHL tender that you're like, man, this is the guy that I watch film on. This is the guy I want to be like. Or do you kind of take and roll with a couple other guys, take one of this, uh, take someone else's from this or whatever like that? I think in Canada, like growing up, if you're a goalie, you're looking at Carey Price. Um, Carey Price is a huge idol for all of us. Um, just watching him and everyone tries to influence their game off him. So he's a, he's a good role model on and off the ice. So right on. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, especially like with secondary school and like high school and stuff like that for, for Canada, is there like high school teams or is that kind of more like you play for your city type deal? Yeah, it's, it's completely different in Canada. We, uh, we play for hot, we have hockey Academy. So you guys have like these huge football schools. Like we have nothing like that back home. We, it's all about hockey and it's kind of like the vice versa. Like yeah. you know, football is our hockey. We don't, yeah, I don't even know. I was telling the boys when we went to BG, they have that huge stadium over there. I'm like, that's, that's crazy. Like I couldn't stop looking at it. And then like, I don't even know where we'd go to find a football stadium back home like that. It's crazy. Yeah. Outside of hockey being that, that predominant sport and that's the number one thing, what's been like the, the biggest difference that you found just being overall as a student athlete, both in Canada and now in the U S what's been the biggest difference between the two? Honestly, it's pretty, it's pretty similar. The the difference between the two schoolings. Um, I was all online. We had that COVID year when I was there, so I didn't really get experience at Canadian university. And then, uh, here was my first, uh, university class. So never really went to a class in the uh, university in Canada. I'm sure there's probably not, not in a gorgeous place like the rock in Canada, potentially at Windsor. Is there anything close to that? Uh, I never got experience anything. I didn't even get, I didn't even set foot on campus. Wow. Oh, really? That's yeah. tough. That's wild. Man, that's crazy. <laughs> yeah, that's that's crazy. And especially like transferring in, like was Daniels the first one to reach out or did you kind of just enter the portal and kind of put your name out there for different coaches to look at you? Yeah, I think I got eligible. I wasn't eligible in high school because we was missing credits in Canada courses. And then once I got eligible, there was a few that reached out and I was talking to coach sensor about it and mm -hmm. found a way and made it work second semester. For sure. Yeah. And what was the the biggest thing that you found when you first joined the team? Obviously after that holiday break, you get on the ice for the first day of practice. What was the interaction like with the guys and really that first week were you able just to meet them and really kind of become in that glue with this team? Yeah, it was, it was nice to get the way I knew probably a month prior it was going to happen. So it was just, uh, when and it was uh when and where so it was it was nice to get on the ice the first time and then get out of the way and then we headed over to Mankato so it's good a little eye opener for us yeah for sure and did you hear much about Fair State before was or like is Can Canadian college hockey like you don't really pay too much attention to NCAA or something like that we definitely we pay attention to it um I definitely have heard of Ferris before I know a couple of the boys are from Michigan that was on my Windsor team so um I asked them about it and they all had good good things to say about the hockey program so it was uh I knew a little bit coming in so for sure.
Yeah, when it comes to the overall style of game, I know we talked to Roni a little while back about his experience playing Finnish in his affairs to American. Is there a difference between Canada and American that maybe some people might just be overlooking? The the hockey wise of it? Yeah, yeah. Um, I wouldn't say it. it's just you guys. You, we have NCAA over here back home. It's major junior, so if you go major junior, you can't go NCAA. Mm. So it's, uh, it's it's always up in the air. We always battle with it on them with American guys on the team, which one's better. So um, <laughs> it's a, it's an ongoing dispute, but I've, it's very similar. Yeah, style yeah. play very similar. Same pace. Yeah, same same yeah. same style of hockey. Gotcha. Yeah, absolutely. And Bemidji's coming to town this week. I mean, what's been the uh, the talks between the team kind of getting ready for? I know it's mo- uh, Monday today, but I mean, in a couple of short days, you're going to have to have the Beavers at home ice. So what's the what's the conversation's been happening, especially in practice? Yeah, I mean, we got the day off today, kind of rest the bodies and get them ready for a big weekend here. But we've we've had success against them. We um, I mean, I think we got four or six last time we went to Bemidji. They're a good team, though. So we'll have a we'll have our hands full this weekend and See where it takes us. We'll get ready this week. Absolutely. No, we appreciate having on the show. One more question we like to ask every athlete we bring on. What's been your favorite thing about being here at Ferris State and being a Bulldog? Oh, there's a lot, but probably just being around the guys. We got a lot of different uh, characters on our team. Uh, give a little Blake Avenel a shout out and, and uh, Andrew Noel. So it's, uh haven't met anything like it. And it's just, it's great to have. And um, yeah, can't say enough good things about them. Very cool. Noah, thank you so much for coming on the show. Good luck against uh, Bemidji this upcoming week. Great job last week, and uh, thanks again. Thanks for having me. Huge thanks to Geese for stopping by the show. Certainly enjoyed talking to him. Just getting the whole vibe of how I honestly thought that Canadian hockey was a lot different than American hockey. Doesn't really sound like it's that much different. Yeah, it's got similarities, it's got differences, but it's really cool to have that conversation with him and learn more about it. But Fair State Hockey, huge weekend wins over Bowling Green State over the weekend. 2-1 on Friday, 4-4 in OT, then winning it in the shootout, getting the five points on Saturday. That was huge. We're one point away from flipping the tables and getting home ice advantage in the playoffs. So the time is now. We talked about it last week, but man, this was a really good showing of the team really showing out and you know getting gritty with it and really just pushing for a great win uh, against a really tough Bowling Green team who at the start was really hot in the CCHA. They kind of fell down a little bit, started to get their foot back. But yeah, it was huge against a a packed barn, they said. Yeah, that was a huge weekend. Absolutely huge. I don't think people actually realized how big of a weekend that really was. And you could kind of feel it on, I thought Harrison and Brody really brought the emotion on the broadcast. Shout out to them for that. And I I think it was, I mean, especially in that Friday game, really... I thought we really played very well, dominated down the stretch than we needed to. Mm-hmm. And I think especially in the Bowling Green game for how just absolutely chaotic, crazy that game was. And especially the last 25 minutes going into the shootout, absolutely bonkers. The amount of just momentum driven each way. I mean, we had a literally a goal going off of the goal, other goaltender's shoulder pad going about 15 feet in the air and landing across the goal line. I mean, you never see that ever in any hockey, anywhere, any level, any time. We finally got like puck luck on our side for once. Yeah, it was absolutely crazy. But I mean, how great has not only this whole team, but I mean, individually, Jason Branshaw in fuego right now. He's playing yeah, some of the hockey we've like ever eight? seen. Eight game point streak or something like that, right? I think it's got to be close like to six eight, or seven, six, like six to eight, somewhere in there. That's he's wild. He was pretty much he's pretty much been unstoppable. I mean, he started the scoring on Friday, added another one um, on a backhand on Saturday, and I think really you saw a lot of these other big lines. I thought stepped up. I mean, especially some of the younger guys. Caden Galt really had a really good weekend. I mean, he had some. I think he had a point and an assist on. Uh, Friday's game, he had a goal uh, on Saturday's game. I thought his line especially um, played really well in that. I think it, they were ready to start on the third line, I want to say, or maybe the second line it was. Um, but I thought they played really well. I thought really you saw the depth of the lines all playing extremely well. Because obviously we'd seen, um, we saw Venuto, Branshaw's line absolutely tearing it up. And then obviously Giesbrecht's been great between the pipes. But I think when you looked at how it was just completely the depth stepped up in a huge way. I think that really completely changed the whole momentum of this game. Cause I mean, it was really one of those situations where Minnesota state, we had a one or two lines that were clicking some other two really just couldn't quite find a rhythm, but the depth shown that all four lines on the, on the O side. And then obviously on the blue line side, all three really, I thought came to play and they really dominated the Falcons team, which they needed to do to get closer to Bemidji state. And now only one point away. 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we're at 30 points and Bemidji's at 31. So, I mean, a win and an overtime uh, win or something like that can switch us there. Uh, it's going to be really interesting to see how uh, the rest of the CCHA plays out. I don't think Northern St. Thomas or Lake State have a chance at home ice in this because they're at, I think Northern's at the most with 24. Yeah, very right? minute. Yeah, very, I mean, it's basically take a miracle. I think they have to like win out in the next, I think they'd have to get like 12 points and us and Bemidji to like somehow get no points, which isn't possible. Yeah, especially since we're playing each other this yeah, weekend. So somebody's yeah. going to get points this weekend. We'll see. But yeah, a big weekend too would be huge because that would give us a little bit of a cushion for next week upcoming uh, since we only have, what, one more homestand? We're home, then away, then home? Yep, home, away, home. We got Bemidji this weekend, which we'll get into how big that game is here in That's a second. Sick. Then we got Northern up at the Berry Center, and then we got... Uh, Lake State Senior Day to finish out here at Ingleglaben, which we know that we can be a Lake State team and we can hopefully sweep them. So mm. we're in the driver's seat. And I mean, especially this weekend on deck. And this is, these are must-win games. We're one point behind the Beavers. They're coming to our place. We took care of business on the road. Well, I wouldn't say completely took care of business, but we did we some damage. Them, yeah, we did. We split with them, did some damage. But boy, that would be huge to come out with a big time, at least one victory, hopefully getting at least three. I mean, at this point, the way they played, you can expect six. I think that's realistic, but I wouldn't necessarily want to jinx that. Obviously, I'll knock on the table right now, but I think the way that the offense has been playing, I think we're going to score some goals. I think if we lock down yeah, defensively, really well. I think if we can keep the puck in our possession on the opposing half, I mean, that's going to be the, the biggest key to the game. Because when we do that, we're beating all these teams. When we're backed against our own ice, our own end, that's when we get into trouble. I think, too, you might see, it's not going to be like crazy or anything, but I think the dog pound could get a little bit wild this weekend. I think so. Not like too crazy because obviously we've seen like when we think it's going to be packed and still means students just don't show up. I don't know why, because we're actually playing good and we're actually like putting goals up and we're giving a good show. It's just nobody shows up anymore, which is pretty annoying. But the chance of me getting better, I guess, a little bit. A little bit. It's starting to, it's starting to kind of revive a little bit. I think some people are looking at the record. And they're not 500. So people are like, why should we care? It's like they're playing like a team that's literally 16 and like they're playing like a 16 and five type of team at some of these games. Like they're playing that well. It's just then sometimes they play like a six and 15 team and they know that. And then we've talked to some of those guys and it's, yes, the consistency. I mean, they put the effort out each and every day, but a lot of the times puck luck, all of these things just don't come together. And that's really what's caused some of the losses this year. Uh, but I think that's made this team even stronger. I mean, we've looked at the last couple of games, obviously Minnesota state, a little bit of a punch in the mouth, but they're a really good team. Uh, but being beating Bowling green, going into a really big series with Bemidji, then you got Northern, who's a team that we know we can beat. I think that's just going to bring a lot of real momentum in this weekend. And especially looking at the standings right now, Joe, I mean, we're in, we're in a really good spot. We're in the driver's seat almost at this mm-hmm. point going into this series. Yeah, and the best part about it is, especially with the upcoming schedule this weekend, we have a little bit of a chance for Michigan Tech to do us a favor here against Bowling Green. To if we able to get this weekend sweep, we'll be in a pretty good solid spot for next week. As Michigan Tech's taking on Bowling Green, if they can sweep it there, it's forty four for it's forty four points overall for Michigan Tech, thirty eight for Bowling Green. If one of the two teams kind of slows up a little bit, that might be better for both of us because that might give a chance, especially next weekend, even if we don't get the weekend sweep, we might be able to kind of get on a little bit more of a run again and still squeak into that home spot. But like we said, winning both of these games this week is going to be pretty crucial to be able to, you know, get to that point of being able to have home ice because we haven't had home ice since what, 2012? No, it's, 2013, 14? It's been a long time, bro. It's, it's been a been long, a time. long time. Because I, I don't even think we had home ice when we won the CCHA in 2012. Yeah, I think I, we did. I think it had to have been right. Well, we might have been. Wait, no, we definitely did because we were like number one. Uh, yeah, that the was nation, a year so. right before was we went to the Frozen Four in yeah. 14 or 12? It was 12. It was 12. Yeah, that's right. That would have that would line up. And then so. like three years later, we were like bottom of the table. Yeah, like pretty much. You can rise and fall. That's really what it has yeah, been. crazy. Honestly. But this weekend is we're still on the rise and you need to be there. It's red out February 11th, silent auctions to support the Coldwell yeah. Health Cardiac Unit, um, benefiting women's heart health. All the teams will be wearing red. You should too. Red out wink and the rink for basketball as well, um, which we'll get into here in a second. But I mean, it's a great cause for really, I mean, you've seen the awareness, especially, I mean, for some people probably that haven't quite seen it yet, there's going to be a video that's published. We talked to President Pink about this and he's ready to, he's ready to rock this thing. Like, we're ready to pack the place and you're going to want to be there. It's going to be fun. Uh, it's going to be an electric time. I mean, huge games, 
Huge games on deck this weekend, obviously. Bemidji um, playing um, against Dutson Hockey. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, right now we got Wayne coming up on Thursday. But on Saturday, uh, the night, yeah, I mean, the nightcap, going to be against Saginaw Valley. It was a really good team. So uh, that's going to be really fun. So be sure to be there for Red Out uh, February 11th. I'll be there. Joe will be there. Everyone will be there wearing your red. So do so as well. And it's going to be a great weekend, Joe. Absolutely. It's going to be. Cannot wait for it, man. It's going to be a blast. But hopping in now to men's basketball. They were in action over the weekend against Minnesota, or not Minnesota, Wisconsin Parkside and uh, uh, was it Purdue Northwest. So not the best thing. We're hoping for a, a two uh, weekend swoop. I can't even talk right now, Brandon. I'm trying to like speak before I even have a thought in my in my mind right now. But it happens. Yeah. You know what happens? You know, how are you talking about it? Whatever it might be. Anyways, weekend split against Wisconsin Parkside and Purdue Northwest. Really was hoping to get one against Wisconsin Parkside, take lone sole possession of the top of the GLIAC. However, not looking like it right now. Wisconsin Parkside is just on too much of a heater here. But we were able to get the bounce back when he has Purdue Northwest, 85 to 75 on Saturday. I mean, we just did not play well on, on Friday or on Thursday. I mean, no. especially putting up 66 to what we're used to be able to put up. I just can't can't have that happen, you know? Bad game at a bad time. That's, yeah, I terrible. think, really what it went for both. I mean, Parkside's a good team on the women's side as well. I mean, really kind of starting with men's. Uh, I mean, overall, I mean, you could just tell from the box score, shooting wasn't great. Uh, a lot of guys didn't. And I think the biggest thing was we didn't get a whole lot of opportunities, it felt like, to shoot the basketball. That was yeah. kind of the one thing that popped out to me, kind of looking at some uh, comparisons of games that we've had already this season, kind of the compilation of the game logs. Um, and I, cause I mean, we had, I believe 63 shots where, um, there's been games. That's probably about the average mark we've had between 60 and 65, 67. Um, but I mean, there's been games earlier this year where we've put up 70 shots. And I think mm -hmm. I, even, especially, I think it was Northern Michigan. We had 80, 80 shots. So like when you look at some of those games, I mean, it's not necessarily the lowest you could necessarily see, but, uh, we kind of, it felt like we settled a little bit for three point shots. I mean, we had 27 of them. We had some open ones. No, don't get me wrong. Um, but I think the biggest thing was really kind of we had a really good run on the boards. And I mean, especially when you look at how this game ended up in comparison, uh, I mean, that's pretty much an area that uh, we fell off with a little bit. They all rebounded us 37 to 32. Um, and especially really kind of the points in the paint. I mean, they were, they were controlling that. They were controlling the key. There was no question about it. They really did a great job down low, uh, really kind of neutralizing us offensively and taking care of business defensively. Um, and that's kind of really what kind of hurt us, especially down the stretch. They were able to penetrate. They were able to get inside. They were able to score in the post. And that really just kind of hurt us by the end of the day. It was just a bad game, though, at a bad time. That's really all you can say about it. Yeah, but we were able to bounce back, have a pretty solid game against Purdue Northwest. Uh, like I said, 85 to 75. The shooting was a little bit better, 10 for 20 overall on the threes. I mean, Ethan Erickson went one for three, so not the best. But Ben Davidson and Delapo Olinke kind of picked it up, too, with going two for four and three for five for them. But, I mean... This is kind of what you want. I was kind of hoping for a weekend sweep to really make it going, but you still have a chance to, you know, win out and, you know, kind of put the pressure on Parkside to win out as well because one bad game from either one of these teams means, you know, somebody else is going to be able to take the regular season championship. Yeah, and I think Bayes especially played really well. I mean, you saw it on the stat line. I mean, 12 points, uh, seven rebounds off the bench. I think he played really well. I think Delapo still played very well. I think he ended up with 14 points. Um, I think really you saw... They didn't necessarily, I think, especially when you looked at the differences in games, um, when you looked at it on Thursday as opposed to Saturday, uh, I think the biggest thing that came to mind, especially is like we mentioned the rebounds, obviously we mentioned the points in the paint. And I think when you look at those things, there's, there's, so, there's so much physicality that comes involved with that. Uh, but when you kind of look at the the Purdue Northwest game a little bit, it kind of felt like it went like a different kind of style of game. And I think that kind of played into our favor necessarily of kind of getting out and running a little bit. Uh, and we kind of controlled the pain a little bit, but I thought really, especially you looked at being able to turn them over 10 turnovers um, against them defensively. And that led to some much better offense. We were able to get some good looks. And I think especially, I mean, right from the jump, we got out to a little bit of a lead uh, and then they kind of came back a little bit, punched us in the mouth. And it kind of felt like it was kind of a little bit of a lull over. Um, but then you looked at how we responded, I think, especially at the end of the half, I think we came out as the better team, uh, going into that, going into halftime. And we really made that big run to put, I think it was about 12, 
Um, even they kind of chipped away at it a little bit. I think they got it down to eight before the break. But I think that response, especially in, a, in getting a lot of these good looks, being able to get down in the paint, ball movement, able to penetrate, kick out, good basketball. And that's what we saw, especially. And I think that really kind of relates to the scoreline as well. You saw a lot more balance. You saw Solomon with 19. You saw Ben with 14. Dilapa with 14. Bass with 12. Amari with nine. Larry spread across. Not necessarily somebody scoring uh, 30 points, but it was a group effort all the way around. And mm-hmm. I think that they played, they played a lot better basketball. And I think that's going to make it a lot better for them going into this series. Because I think it was a little bit of a wake-up call. And I think some te- some good teams need that. And I think that one, especially on Thursday, might have caught them a little bit off guard after a big weekend, a big win over Northern. But now, back to the driver's seat at home against Wayne and Saginaw. Hopefully, they put those things to process and get two dubs. And I like the I like the switch up of like what Coach did with the starters too, because I know especially with I think with Amari and Vance and Ethan all coming off the bench as well as Reese, like how they kind of switched that up a little bit. Now putting Michael as the starting center and kind of letting him and Delapo kind of do the work down low and then Bayes to be able to come off the bench and be able to have that type of presence. It's pretty threatening for a lot of these teams that, you know, are struggling with those two because I feel like Bayes has a, a lot different skill set from both of those guys. He can still fill it up uh, from the arc, but when he's down low, he's very methodical. He's very, you know, playing to his strengths. And when he comes off the bench, I mean, not a lot of teams are ready for that. And when you can have that continuous onslaught, uh, that's going to be really valuable, especially coming up pretty soon uh, with Gleak Tournament. Yeah, now we'll go over to the GLIAC scoreboard here in just a second. But I think when you look at a lot of these teams now, we're going into the second half of these stretches, um, which are absolutely huge. Because I think especially on the men's side, I mean, Parkside able to beat us on Thursday. Mm -hmm. Oh, they almost slipped up on Saturday against Lake State. And I think you're going to see that a lot down the stretch now because you got guys, especially I think the health game is just as important um, with a lot of these other teams. You got guys banged up. You got guys injured. And are you able to really get it to go the second time around? You're going to be a little bit more cautious, right? Because obviously you're playing for regular season prominence, but at the end of the day, you want to play your best in March. So you're going to be resting a couple guys. So I wouldn't be surprised necessarily if you see a Davenport type team, give a Lake State and Northern Michigan run to their money and potentially beat them. Hey, that's and, what we saw. That's what we saw last year. Davenport right. was last in the league at the regular season. And they went and won the GLIAC championship. Yeah, they came as the Cinderella. They were the eighth seed and they ran the whole thing. And it's just like, yep, that's wow. the way it goes. You just got to click at the right time. And that's what comes down to it. Yeah, absolutely. So GLIAC Sports Report or GLIAC Scores Report. Saginaw Valley's made the trip up to Northern Michigan, but they weren't able to get the win. 64 to 81 loss to the Wildcats. Michigan Tech got the win over Wayne State and a big one, 78 to 58. Uh, that was a much needed win for them, being near the bottom of the table in Wayne State, uh, kind of right above them. Lake Superior State got the win over in Purdue Northwest, 71 to 67. And then going to Saturday, Wayne State and Northern Michigan faced off at 63 to 58 win for the Wildcats there. So weekend sweep for them. Grand Valley got the win over Downport. 87 to 61 Saginaw Valley uh, getting the or not winning at all this weekend tough for them 75 to 67 loss to the Huskies of Michigan Tech and then Lake State and Parkside ended out the weekend recap 82 to 79 in favor of Parkside oh if Lake State would have won that game that would have been sick. huge for us but anyway that would have put I believe four teams then at nine and four would have put Northern Parkside like say, no, I saw it nine and four. We would have been back to the we would have been back to the four teams tied for first. Yeah. And we would have had the edge with the eighteen and six record. But mm-hmm. hey, it happens. So now we got to do the hard work and it needs your help. So be there. Uh Thursday's games, I believe, tipping off at seven thirty for the men, three o'clock on Saturday. And we'll get to the women's here mm-hmm. that will take place two hours prior to that. Uh a little bit of a tough weekend. I thought really when I think we battled very very well in the fourth quarter, I think, especially. I think the the reserves, I think, really came out and showed a lot of good things. Um, the unfortunate thing is we really kind of got off to a slow start, and I think that really kind of kind of hurt us as the game went on. I think that, it, I mean, it's really hard when you you look at a lot of these great scores that Parkside has, and it's it's really hard to, to, to defend against them just because when you have a multitude of scores, you can't necessarily run these, these concrete sets. You can't run a full box in one kind of vibe. You know, you have to be pretty cautious all the way around the perimeter, uh, and I think they really showed it. I mean, they got up to a, I think it was a 15 to four run early on in the game. And I mean, really that was the deficit held to the very end. I thought the team battled really well, but I think, I think we, it comes down to what we talked in the pregame Joe or the preview, I should say last Mm -hmm. week, we just haven't been able to shoot the ball on the road very well this year. And I think that's really been the the biggest thing that's kind of hurt us a little bit. Cause I mean, 35% from the floor, 16 from three, 
Not, not going to win a game that often when you have those kind of lines, but I think we did a pretty good job taking care of the basketball. We only had eight turnovers, which is very, very positive. I think um, the bench wasn't necessarily um, as active, but I think that's just kind of the way the, the whole game went, obviously. But, mm-hmm. I mean, Grace Sullivan getting the start in this game, and I thought that was a, a really interesting uh, change that um, Coach made, I think. And I think when you look at it, too, especially with the multitude, we just mentioned like the multitude of injuries, um, I think when you look at how... A lot of these other teams line up. Um, I think when you don't have somebody like Deshaun a day that can really lock down a person, a player like Alyssa Nelson, then that really kind of puts you in a little bit of a hole because I think that we have a lot of great perimeter defenders, but one-on-one Deshaun a day is one of the best. And I think without her, I mean, Alyssa Nelson was really able to, to, to force a lot of shots and be able to make them. She had 17 points, but Galasova had 21 as well. She played a really good game. Um, but I think it really, I mean, I don't want to beat a dead horse, but Bad game at a bad time. That's really all you could say because you watched it and you're just like, yeah, this team is just in a little bit of a slump right now. And it was just for that game. And it's just one of those, you know, you know, hey, it happens. Move on. Take the best. We'll lose the worst. And now you go into this next week and you got to learn from it. Yeah. Weirdly enough, last time I played Wisconsin Park, so it was almost identical score the last weekend. Was it, it was really? 75 to 66 on January 14. And we lost that one. And then on February 2 last weekend. 79 to 66. Huh. So like a difference of four points. It's wild. Weird how that goes. But yeah. uh, especially comparing that to Saturday's game against Purdue, obviously had a little bit of confidence going against Purdue. They're not necessarily as tough of a team as Parkside play a little bit different kind of basketball. But I think definitely you saw them really get out to a hot start, which uh-huh. was very good. Um, and not necessarily saying right from the jump, cause it was really, it was really, when you looked at it, um, not necessarily like got out to a huge ginormous lead or anything like that. Like they were still, the pride were still hanging around a little bit. Uh, but I think just the overall resiliency, uh, of this team, I think really kind of showed. Cause I mean, we got out to that, we got out to a little bit of a run at the beginning of the game. Uh, and we, pr- I think we settled in a lot nicer than mm-hmm. Parkside. It felt like we kind of got really dealt with a punch and now we're trying to run and chase all the way back. And it really just kind of, it really just drug out to the whole rest of the game. Yeah. But in this case, I mean, we really kind of kept, bi- kept fighting, kept battling. They kept trying to, kept trying to punch back, you know, Dash Shaw's a good player, really trying to get her momentum going. Um, but I think we did a good job of neutralizing her. Um, and I think we still did, we still played a very solid basketball game. And I think really with the circumstances, I mean, Shaw was able to get 28, but you neutralized everybody else. And that was, what was the key thing. And we really had a great scoring, uh, across the board. Mallory had a really good game, 21 points. Kenzie had 20, uh, Chloe had 17. And I think that that depth really kind of showed going because I think Mia had to play uh, had to play more minutes as well. Maka had to play more minutes and I think you saw them really produce off the bench as well and I think that when you look at this team's offense, it can be a little varying, but their defensive effort I thought has really improved from last year, Joe, especially and I think obviously that it's going to be even better I think down the stretch because we're still kind of learning and really kind of getting a little bit to to our true identity as as a team because it's kind of fluctuated a little bit, a little more defensive heavy, uh, a little bit as of recently. We're more kind of offensive heavy at the beginning of the year, uh, and now they're kind of starting to find a mix of the two, and I think when you find that, it's going to be a deadly combo going into the GLIAC tournament here in this upcoming March. Yeah, absolutely, and speaking of GLIAC, we'll get into the scores from last weekend for the women's side. Uh, Same exact thing, Michigan Tech beat Wayne State when they traveled to town, 80-70 win for them. Purdue Northwest, Got the win on the first day on a final OT uh, thriller for them, 90-85 over Lake State, but obviously got the weekend split because they didn't win against us. Um, Saginaw Valley won 46-43 over Northern Michigan, and then moving to Saturday, Grand Valley won 68-46 against Davenport. Wayne State getting the win 69-64, close one over Northern Michigan in regular time. Ooh. Michigan Tech beat Saginaw Valley 69-49 in a 20-point blowout, and then Lake State Fell to Parkside in an even bigger blowout, nine to sixty-eight. Whoa! They put up a hundred nine. Why did Grand Valley only play one game this week? I don't know. That's interesting. Or last week, but a hundred and nine. Jeez, man! Did they shoot over fifty percent or Let's like check that the old box score? That's crazy. I didn't see that until just now. Uh, like I'd seen, I kind of saw Parkside some of the news. Shot. 15 for 24. Oh, yeah. That's 62.5% right there. And 36 for 58. They Holy shot the Moses. lights out the building. That I wish I had a shock sound effect because I'd play it right now. But if that's how it that's feels wild. in my head. It's 109 points. 
Well, that shows you how good of a team they are in a nutshell. They can put up triple digits. You don't see that too many often from the women's teams. But, hey, I guess kudos to them for being able to score the basketball. My goodness. But, uh, I mean, still, split over the weekend, cross the pond. Obviously, a hard road trip. Uh, Obviously, they're not going to make that excuse. But being able to really adjust to uh, opposing rims is really the biggest takeaway you can get from this. Because we adjusted at Purdue a lot better than we did at Parkside. And hopefully, Uh we can do that for some of these other road games. Because we got a couple big ones here coming up the second half of the year as well. But anyway, women's will be in action 5.30 on Thursday. As well as 1 o'clock on Saturday with men's games to follow. And especially on Saturday with hockey going to be finishing up afterwards at a 6.07 puck drop for Red Out. Anyway. Final sport we got here, tennis. We didn't preview it as much as we would like to um, on our Thursday show. A little crammed time, but obviously now being able to recap. Win against Northwood uh, in their opener on Saturday, February 4th. Uh, and really clean sweep fashion, especially on the men's side, 7 nothing. I believe that the women um, also took care of business. It wasn't necessarily as uh, sweep of a scoring line, a little closer at 4-3, but uh, then took on a really good indie team um, that really you can show uh, how good of a regional team they are, being able to beat our men and women. But getting out there, being able to dust the rust off, obviously is the biggest takeaway you have from this mm. game. But uh, I think especially uh, on the men's side, I think you saw, uh, I mean, obviously we have Yannick Madur, Jan Kapoor, back. You got uh, Benjamin Lordy, uh, San Angelo is back, but I think you saw Eric Kovacs play really well. I think that he's the guy that really, uh, when you looked at going into the season, you didn't really know quite off the top of your head because obviously we had uh, Matisse, who's the number one player in the GLIAC, obviously player of the year. Uh, but now you got a, a new guy, number one, and really, and I think that was obviously with the matchups. Obviously, it's not necessarily ranking one through seven. It's mm-hmm. obviously matchup dependent. You're trying to get the most strategic lineups. Uh, but I think you saw him play really well, and especially on the women's side. I think you really saw, uh, I mean, really it came down to the fact of, yeah, we won uh, after coming back. I think we lost the doubles point um, early on. Yeah, we lost the doubles point. We were able to fight our way back with four singles wins. That shows the resiliency of this team. Um, And I think especially, I mean, Sophie at the number one spot in the number one pairing played really well, sweep sets. Um, and then we kind of fell into a little bit hole at two and three. But I think really the back half, Kennedy Dumas, Mariana Hernandez, as well as Lavierde, Emilia. Um, I should say Emilia Lavierde. I don't know why I said that backwards. It had It's written down in the, the backwards on here. I don't know why I read it that way. But uh, being able to get those in uh, two sets, I think, was absolutely huge. And the other sets we lost, we lost in three sets. So that just shows the fight in this team already. Um, obviously, a good indie team, and especially on a back-to-back, playing a team fresh as opposed to um, after a hard day of competition is obviously different. Mm-hmm. But I think these two teams, I mean, especially will make their case right now early in the season. It's a little bit hard to tell, but I think you can definitely tell from years past and really the, the great work um, that you've seen from Coach Doran's teams. They're going to be in the regional rankings. They're going to be a team that's going to be contending. And I think the depth is always there year after year. And I think this is a really one prime example early in the season where they've already started to show it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we saw this too. I mean, last year we had a couple of really tough game or really tough matches at the start. I think we had to play, what was it two or three like ranked opponents at the start? And I think we got an upset against one, but we still were able to have a really solid start. I mean, especially when you look at, you know, facing off against Northwood, who was a GLIAC team last year, not this year, but you're able to do business against them, but you're still able to pretty hang in there with Indianapolis. I mean, especially when you're talking, uh, especially when you look at the recap and you see what coach Doran was saying. I mean, the energy was there and I mean, everybody was like really playing really on point, but it was just a grudge match basically the whole time. You just had to really put your head down and get it done. But I mean, if ultimately you fall to him, but other than that, like you look at it, you got to take away like the, the wins of the day, I guess. And that's just, you come out with great energy. You play really solid. It's just unfortunate that you got to play a team. That's just a little bit better. And that's just all it is. Yeah. I mean, being able to beat Northwood, I think was a big testament. I think coach Doran said it, uh, in the post game, especially, I mean, I think Northern was a team. Um, I think that I actually won the GLIAC the final year, uh, or they Northwood were, they, they were up somewhere or maybe it was, where was it? Maybe I was reading the Indy one. Maybe that's what it was. Um, indie. but no, yeah, you had it just on the screen there for a second there. Uh, it was, um, I, I can't see it now, but um, I think there was something with that. Yeah, it was an outstanding win over the defending league champions. And that was talking about um, the doubles match against Northwood. So I think that was one of the, I don't remember them winning it, but I, I mean, that's still, yeah, if I it was, so maybe we'll it. have to fact check that. But I mean, overall, regardless, GLIAC champions are just playing an exhibition. A win is a win. Uh, and you get to see the depth that your team has. Um, and I think that's going to be really good to have a good start. And I think we will see that, especially, I mean, two more matches coming up this weekend. I believe the women's play Friday, Sunday. 
Uh, men's play Friday, Saturday. A little bit of a weird pairing there over at the Racket Center. They'll all be home, though, so you can go check them out. Um, Hillsdale, I believe, on the road for men's, followed by Saturday against Finley, um, which is at home. While on the women's side, a little bit different of a schedule as just mentioned. Um, they'll be taking on Finley on Sunday at home while they'll be traveling to Hillsdale on Friday. So no Friday, but home Saturday and Sunday. Men's on Saturday and women's on Sunday. So go over and watch tennis. Go support. And then you can come over to Red Out. It, it works out the whole way. You just got to go to Red Out. Yeah, we're just, we're just gonna we're just gonna beat the dead horse yeah, all week. Say, hey, come to Red Out, guys. Please come time. to please come to Red Out. It's gonna please be come. fun. Please I think clap. it's gonna be fun. So anyway, we'll take a quick break. When we come back, Kyrie's now a Maverick, and some people aren't happy. We'll give our thoughts after this. The MBSP is proud to partner with the people of Eagle Village Incorporated. With over 50 years of experience helping them changing the lives of youth. There are opportunities for you to be the next to make a direct impact, including plenty of positions available, including summer staff, internships, and more. For more information, visit eaglevillage.org. Eagle Village, where potential soars. Back to finish out the show. Haven't covered NBA in a while. We talked about it a little bit last week, or alluded to it, I should say. Uh, but a lot of big news. Kyrie Irving is now Dallas Maverick in a trade Wild. with Brooklyn to send him with Luka Doncic. Uh, there's some other rumors going around, but I think the biggest thing people are wondering, Joe, if Kyrie Irving now is in with Luka Doncic in that backcourt, are the Mavs legitimate contenders or are they looking like star-studded pretenders? I think if Kyrie plays, then yeah. Well, I think the good thing, though, is, like, you're in Texas, which the rule, like, because, I mean, especially for Kyrie before, like, he was always, like, if he if he was going to play, you know, especially, like, with the whole COVID thing going down as well, just, like, every other weird thing that he does now. And, I mean, especially with Kyrie, like, he, well, he was a guy who was, like, every time, every time he gets traded, it's, like, he shows out for, like, a month, and he's, like, yeah, like, money is worth it. And then something happens, whether it's, like, a contract, whatever it might be. And then it's just like, oh, he's going to sit out half the season or something like that, or he gets injured or whatever. And then he's just going to ask for a huge contract or something like that, gets the contract and then just like plays halfway. Like we really haven't seen him like at the caliber that like we know he's able to play ever since like 2016 when he was with the Cavs and LeBron. And then once that kind of went away and he got traded to the Celtics, like I feel like that Celtics trade was like the downfall because we have not seen him play good at all. So if he's able to actually get a situation now where he's like, happy and will play throughout the whole year. Yeah. The Mavs are definitely contenders because already with Luca, you're seeing a incredible, incredible team. And then you add Kyrie to it. It's just that they're going to be able to gel. The worst part about though, is he's not going to LA, which I thought was going to happen because he, I feel like he wanted to have that reunion with LeBron. But then again, we were talking about an offer. I think the owner was just like, Nope, that ain't going to happen. You, you took, 300 million away from me. I will make sure that you're not going to go where you want to go. Yeah. That was such a weird time to come out with that because now everyone's like, Whoa, what <laughs> are you really trying to be that guy? But I think in that situation, I mean, after what they had dealt with Kyrie for all that time, it you got to, it makes sense. I like, mean, I would kind of be a little sick of that too. And I'm not necessarily saying throwing anything shade against Kyrie for, for example, but I think with just the the hoops and all the logs they had to jump over for them, him to play, I think was pretty stressful, especially with the team. I mean, it was like, especially uh, I was watching the the Dion um, 30 for 30 double play with my roommates mm-hmm. the other night. And I think it kind of correlates with this. Like if you were a manager, if you were Bobby Cox, for example, for the Braves. And if you are obviously in the position of being in, uh, as a head coach in in any organization whatsoever, and you're playing for a championship, the last thing that you want to worry about at all, the mm-hmm. like the last thing that you would want to worry about is who's going to play and who's not going to play. Yeah, like I want to know who's playing. You know, like I don't want to have to question if one guy is going to show up and say, "Yeah, you know what, coach, I don't feel like playing today." What, what do you mean you're not ready to play today? <laughs> like, that's not necessarily the mentality that you want to have one, but obviously he had different reasons for what. But I mean, I, th- I think if you're Coach Vaughn in this situation, like, 
I think you might feel yourself a little bit better now. Like you have a little bit more, uh, I think you have a little bit more uh, of a good feeling of who you have really kind of committed to the team. Um, but I mean, now you have a situation now with Kevin Durant where it could be a matter of time before he wants out because this whole thing was kind of orchestrated together, get him and Kyrie there together, win a championship for Brooklyn together. And then they add James to the mix and then Ben Simmons. And now it's all just kind of blown up in their face. So what do you think, how you think he feels? Because he was one that started this whole thing. Yeah. And now that's why we're talking about him on February 6th now as a potential guy that's, yeah, well, he's going to be on the trade market. No question about it. Yeah. And it's I, KD. <laughs> it, it's, it's, I would hate to be a Nets fan right now. To be able to like, you, because here's the thing. I don't think there's ever been a spot like as a Pistons fan where I'm just like, yeah, this is like, we're going to win a chip because of this trade. And then it's like, wow, that just like blew up in our face. Like that team should have won like, at like the year after that got put together, that team should have won like two out of three years or something like that to see how much star studded talent you have on it. Cause you have KD who's arguably the best scorer and, or the best player in the whole, in the whole league right now. He's a lethal shooter. He's can score from anywhere. You have Kyrie who I still think has the best handles in the whole league. You have Ben Simmons. Who's just kind of there. He's a guy. He's a driver. He's a driver. He's like the slash or whatever. And then you got James Harden, who just can do three step backs and a draining a three in your face. Yeah. We'll get called for it. But <laughs> that team should have been able to like do incredible damage, especially in an Eastern conference that was so depleted. Ugh. It's horrible. That was like almost guaranteed to go to the finals each year. Because who do you gotta who do you gotta go through in the East? The Bucks, uh, basically the Bucks, the Celtics, and insert any other hot team after that. Whether it's, um, well, I mean, really, it's the Celtics and the, the Bucks, Bucks, the Celtics, and maybe the Heat. You would argue some years it's the Heat, some years it's the Sixers, then maybe there's another hot yeah, team like yeah. the Raptors was a couple of years ago. But not Regardless, much. You stuff. have three. You have three teams that you have to be able to play better than, and you're not going to be facing all three of those teams for through each round of the playoffs. There's no shot. So. Realistically, you only got to beat two. However, now you got the whole COVID vaccine thing go down where Irving's not going to take it. And then that just goes wildly out of proportion. Just now it's like blew up in everybody's faces. And then now you got him basically as like public enemy number one in the NBA right now. Yeah. I th- it's a tough situation. I think when we look at the standings right now, Celtics, Bucks, Sixers, Nets, Cavs, Heat, Knicks, Hawks, top eight bowls are like two ga- or one game out from the Hawks um, between eight and nine. Uh, but I think when you see how this whole thing is shaken out, I think really if you're the Mavs, I think this is, I think overall, I think Brooklyn might have at like technically won the trade because long-term consideration of value, I think you you would look at where Dallas is and they're in a win-now mentality. And I mm-hmm. think you're, if you're the, the Mavs, I think this is a good trade in that sense because it's a good trade. You look at where Kyrie is at. You know what he brings to the table. You know that you've probably. I would hope they have discussed this with Luca at some point. They of had to have. because if you're gonna well, br- Cuban, Cuban loves the guy. There's no shot that he was just like sprung it on him. No, no, no. Like the, the that would be a little bit detrimental if they didn't. But I think yeah. that they did, and I'm sure they probably had their due diligence of talking with him. And I think that it really kind of worked itself out, and he's accepted this because I think the biggest thing that some people are consideration because adding Kyrie to that roster makes that a really good team. You have a you kind of have a a kind of a tr- like you have Luca there. And now you and have Kyrie. It's a very flexible backcourt. Very flexible. The really only consideration is now you have one basketball. That's that's the bottom line with any super team you put together is one basketball. How are players going to play off the ball when either of them doesn't have it? You know, like that's the big biggest thing is because Kyrie's a very, he's a big volume guy. Obviously he's played with KD and Harden now and he's kind of adapted that uh, that lower volume, more quality kind of game, um, and you're able to see the plus minus over a lot of some of these games. Uh, but then other nights where it kind of gets a little toxic, you know, it's a five point game in the fourth quarter. Who wants the ball? Three hands go up. Oh, uh, oh, uh, yeah, that's, yeah, that's, that's the one bad that's problem. Thing. That's the one bad thing about having so many uh, like big names and stuff like that, and especially now like that you have Luca, who's been solidified as the guy. You have Kyrie come in. Is he going to be able to take that backseat role? Because, I mean, he did it with LeBron, but, like, he still was young, very young in his career. He made a little bit of a name for himself because I think he made the playoffs, like, what, his first or second year with the Cavs? Something like that. Like, after LeBron left. So, like, 
it was still like, okay, we like this guy, but he's still very young. And then you have LeBron, who's the undisputed go to bat. Like you can say undisputed. I don't. I don't know why I said undisputed go because I don't even think he's the go to basketball. <laughs> he's uh, like, uh, whoa! At the time, at, right now, he is like, he's LeBron. You know, so you have that, but you go into now where Kyrie's like solidified himself as he's won a championship before. If he wants to, he can take over a game. But also, Luke is the same way. So what are you going to do there? And I don't think Kyrie has the personality or the humility to be able to go into that situation and say, all right, yeah, that's fine. Like, I'll, I'll take the back seat. Like, if you give me the ball, I'll do work. But if you want the ball, I'll hand it off. I don't think that's going to be able to work. So I, it might take like a year to kind of work that out. But especially now that I think he's going to be a free agent in the summer with how the contract works out. Because it's only, they're only giving like 80 million right now for two years, I think, right? Because it's like an extension. Uh, I think something it, like that might be a little lower, but yeah, somewhere in that ballpark. Yeah, it's like, yeah, he, he they were only limited to offer him a two year, eighty million dollar extension, which is way under his like value, obviously, because he's gonna probably ask for near three hundred million once his actual contract comes around. But I don't know if they're gonna be willing to shell out that money, especially because how much are they paying for Luca right now? Pretty high. Yeah, I think uh, last time I checked with his contract. I think he is making somewhere north of about eight million, I want to say, last year. But then he had that big five-year, two hundred seven million dollar ex- uh, extension, so that puts him at somewhere just about, you know, like probably what is that, forty-one, forty-two, somewhere in there. He's getting yeah. per year. So, but technically, I think that's his salary is technically probably somewhere around thirty-seven, thirty-eight. Obviously, with the extra. Uh, extra additives on top of it. But I mean, at the end of the day, like, especially for them in consideration of the Western conference, I mean, they're, they're in the sixth spot right now. So you're not necessarily in a bad spot. I mean, I think they're definitely feeling a little bit of urgency for the way Lucas played. You don't obviously want to miss the playoffs, with the way Lucas played, because that's going to make him a little agitated, you know, and obviously you're going to have to start dealing with that sort of stuff. But I think when you look at it in the whole perspective of where each team is at, I think with Brooklyn, I mean, there's just been a lot of toxicity with how that thing has went down. And I think they just, I think now the ownership's like, yeah, we just want to start over. <laughs> like yeah. it was a good idea, but Which now we kind of want to start over. And yeah, it's, it, it is tough. It's because now you had three superstars and you're like, how did we not win with these guys? Like it is crazy to think about that. The amount of talent, amount of MVP candidacies, amount of awards, amount of fantastic abilities and times to win championships with those three guys. And they frankly weren't close. They weren't close. I mean, they got what to the semis three years, two years ago. And I, they were all hurt by the time that they'd gotten there. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, really that's been the biggest thing is they haven't been on the floor enough together when they were all three together. So, uh, cause they were what, like they only played 11 games. You can't even build the chemistry with that. Right. When they're not on the floor together. So I think they're finally just trying to blow it up and, uh, obviously don't know as much about, um, the whole situation because I haven't followed the NBA as, as a whole, um, and as in depth as a lot of these other guys have. But I think when it comes down to it, I think now you see the Nets start to realize what they need to do. They need to kind of start tearing it down a little bit, take a step back and start to build it. The, I wouldn't necessarily say it the right way. Cause it's, I wouldn't, I wouldn't phrase it like that, but it start to build it the regular way. You know, I start to look at players and they got some good packaging players, obviously with Dinwiddie and they can do um, whatever they want with Dinwiddie and those guys, if they keep them or they try to trade them and try to build up from the ground up again. But I think if you're the Mavs, I think, I think it's a win. I think it's a win-win trade. I think either way. So uh, obviously some people will say that Kyrie should, there should have been uh, an extra additive with the Kyrie trade to make it a little bit more, a little bit more flattened. But I mean, I think both teams are happy with this deal. I think the reason if this works out, the sole reason or one of the probably 90% of the reason that this would work out is because of Mark Cuban, because he is a guy who I think can really get his players to play for him. And like, he's actually like an owner that's like invested in the team, which you don't really see a lot of owners be able to do that. And I think now if you come in, he'll actually be able to like talk to Kyrie and kind of like put a little bit of a word in because he's an influential guy. Like if you've seen him and his players and stuff like that, like he's able to get them to play for him, which not a lot of owners are able to do. And he's kind of, I have a feeling like he's like the, he's like the shadow GM kind of, as they say, but yeah, I think Cuban's going to be playing a pretty pivotal role if this whole trade is going to work out. Because if not, I mean, that's going to be tough because you're going to be spending like $80 million for the rest of the season and you're going to try to shell out. But like we know, everybody knows that this is not the place that Kyrie wanted to go to. Kyrie wanted to go to Lakers, play with LeBron and all that stuff. But now you have a shot now where you're 
you know, in a new spot with a team that's playoff contenders and a championship contending team. I mean, what more could you want? Now you got a great owner. I feel like this could work out, but it's going to take a lot of, it's going to take a lot of people. Cause I don't know if Kyrie has the, the personality to kind of come into a spot and know his place that he's not number one there. We'll see. It'll be interesting. Uh, they'll be chasing the Nuggets, Grizzlies, Kings, um, Clippers, and Suns. Yeah, you did hear that correctly. The Kings are playing good basketball, believe mm. it or not. They're actually making a run up here um, with Sabonis in that company. So they're ending up winning that trade that we thought was absolutely crazy for Sabonis a little while back. Turns out they've been playing some pretty good basketball. Yeah. But anyway, some other teams here uh, to watch kind of going into the trade deadline. And I saw this one re- report this morning. Remember back when Katie was originally making a making a decision and he was reportedly seeking a potential trade when, you know, obviously all the the Ben Simmons, Kyrie Irving, James Harden stuff was starting to get crazy and he was starting to look at other options. Remember that Phoenix was in that conversation? Yeah. Phoenix is one game up on Dallas. Could you imagine? Really? Or I shouldn't say one game, one spot above Dallas. I yeah. think technically they're um, like half one, game. Yeah, it's 20. They're 29, 26 overall. Mavs are 28 and 26. Could you imagine? The Suns getting a deal together to bring KD with Chris Paul, DeAndre Aiden, and those guys in Phoenix. Jeez. That would be a move that I think I've heard some people talk about, and I've seen some reports about it. And to be honest, I mean, I think that would, I think that could be potentially a blockbuster move. And I think that you think that could rival the, the, when KD went to Golden State. Because KD, I feel like, could fit in any such, any program. Yeah. Any, uh, franchise i would assume so i think the craziest thing would be uh i think there was one i think the Suns wanted to offer for Kyrie at one point and the deal involved swapping over chris paul and i would feel bad for chris paul because chris paul has been dealt to some bad situations and has made the best of it i mean when he went to houston and obviously him and james had a couple of the years in the playoffs but like originally he was not happy to be going to houston um after the okc deal uh, and all that sort of stuff. Got dealt to OKC when he didn't want to. Kind of built that thing up a little bit. Um, and then obviously now in the the Sun situation, he was a little bit more happier. And obviously you see the prominence they had and especially could have uh, made a legitimate run if they didn't run into a mad Luka Doncic last year. Uh, but I think you still have a really good situation there. And I mean, if they could prepare Chris Paul and Kevin Durant together, that could be a really interesting combo. I don't know how the dynamic would go um, with those two. Not totally sure about the relationship they have, but I think when you look at it, I think there's a couple teams else that you can watch out for, um, especially on the trade block. I mean, I think the Clippers are one of those teams where you're like, yeah, there's they're in the playoffs. But we have no idea how far this team's going. <laughs> like they, they were like, you have obviously Kawhi and Paul George. These guys have been banged up a lot. You see the depth kind of showing out a little bit, but they got a lot of role players that uh, I think some other teams potentially, especially other role playing uh, needing teams, you know, like that need that depth. And you can see guys like Luke Kennard will probably be on the block. Reggie Jackson, ironically, former Pistons, all of them. Uh, <laughs> you can see how that franchise was going. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think you can see a team like the Clippers potentially. Um, and I think you can start seeing some, some of these other teams might be potentially looking at rebuilding for how bad that they've been. I mean, the Spurs are the second to last team in the league right now. So, I mean, that's not great if you're uh, uh, Greg Popovich team. So now what is their, what is their journey now going to look like? What's their path uh, to rebuilding this team? We don't know. So, and I mean, especially the Raptors, that was a team that we were just mentioning is a team that was really good. They're 25 and 30 right now. And they're in 12th place in the division. They should be a team that should be up in the playoff conversation. So what are they going to try to do to fix that? Are they going to move on? Or are they going to try to bring in team guys themselves to try to fix that thing around? I don't know. So I think those are some interesting teams to watch. Uh, I don't know necessarily any particular players, I would say, uh, that would probably be like, of like we know we're going to get traded. I think there's only probably one um, that really rings off the top of my head, especially as a Pistons fan. I think you got to say Bogdanovich is out of there, um, potentially to a probably West Coast team that needs a little bit more shooting. But I think there'll be, I think it'll be interesting to see over the trade deadline. I think it's going to be really interesting to see what some of these teams are going to do. And I think it's a lot. I think what I think I was talking to I was talking to one of my friends uh, actually, uh, Keith Richards, who we had on the show a real while back. Um, and I think that episode's in the feed. You can find it somewhere. But we were talking about the how the depth of the NBA feels like it's so much closer and narrower than it ever has been. You know, because like. It's a couple of years ago, we had like the runaway teams, obviously Golden State setting the regular season uh, record for wins. You had the the big three with Miami and you had a lot of these teams. You were just like, yeah, these teams are so good. They're going to win the chip. And now you're like, oh, yeah, we have the Celtics, Bucks, Sixers, all a couple games from each other. They're OK. They'll probably beat each other five out of ten times each the whole year. Then you have 
the Nuggets and the Clippers and um, a lot of these other teams that are, you're like, yeah, they're pretty and the Suns too, where you're like, yeah, they'll probably like, it doesn't feel like there's any clear cut favorites anymore, which is very interesting. Yeah. It's a, that's the one thing too, is like, especially with the NBA now, it's kind of gotten a little bit more lucrative because like a lot of these superstars that we grew up watching have kind of gotten to a point now where like they can still take over, but it's not as like evident that one guy is going to go crazy, you know? Cause I mean like with Chris Paul, with like the, with the Clippers back in the day, like, he could take over. LeBron still could, but he's definitely kind of laid back in his role a little bit from like actually going wild every once in a while. I mean, KD when he's on, I mean, KD and Russ on the Thunder were just wild. Why you see them now and they're pretty well past their primes. KD is still kicking around and actually being able to play good, but Russell Westbrook has now gotten to a point where it's just like, I mean, you're good, but like you're not really worth. Like the the actual like franchise player contract, you know what I'm saying? So it's interesting because now you're seeing a lot. You've you've seen the NBA evolve now and do more of a team sport, which is weird yeah. because it always has been. But you've seen, I mean, every decade there's always like two or three teams that just have one guy that's able to go crazy. But now I can't really pull up a finger on like a team that has one guy rather than like the actual team like playing really solid. Yeah, the Lakers with LeBron. Oh wait, they're twenty five, twenty nine. That's not going to yeah. work. Like, Even like the Grizzlies, like with Jaw, like he's like their main guy, but like I still can't. I mean, they're a two seed. They're, you're not, they're still a two seed, but it's not just because of Jaw. Like they're playing really well as a team. Yeah. They actually have an orchestrated team around. It's not just hand plucking um, the supposedly yeah. best players the around Kings, you like the Lakers. Look at have. the Kings. They've Their Kings team are, is going wild right now because they're playing as a team. Perfect. They're example. lighting the beam. Yeah. That's exactly right. Same I think with the Suns. Same with, I mean, I don't really know who's on the Timberwolves to be honest. Uh, like you got Ant, you got Cat, you got Rudy Gobert. Yeah. They I made the for, weird. Tra- oh, I forgot that, that he was on there now too. Yeah, that wild trade, and it's starting to look a little interesting now. But I mean, Minnesota looks like a team that could be pretty interesting to play against going into the postseason. But I mean, again, you got the Warriors at nine without Steph. How are they going to make a run? We'll have to wait and see. But Jordan Poole, Jordan Poole, fill it, baby. As a former Michigan fan, I like seeing him play really well because I, I love the fact that he's like, yeah. Everybody hated me on draft night for getting drafted. Now look where I am. Yeah, now he's like the actual like third splash brother almost people are saying. I would say, yeah. He's probably in that conversation for sure. Bonafide stud. Absolutely. Anyway, we got to get out of here. Thank you all for tuning in to this show. Be sure to subscribe on uh, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, as well as WBRN on these future weekend episodes. It's going to be super fun to get those on there. Can't wait to do so and bring you guys the best to come on Saturdays at one o'clock. If that changes, we'll let you know. Don't worry. Still some details in the works. We're getting that all figured out, uh, but it's going to be fun to get you guys the best content uh, moving forward. But until next time, signing off. Take care, everybody.